Hey folks, uh, I'm Mayank. I'm the co-founder and CEO of uh, Loop. During periods of medical emergencies in the family that you get to experience the broken healthcare system of India. And this is also what happened to Mayank Kale when his father experienced a medical emergency. This experience moved Mayank Kale so much that he decided to build solutions to fix healthcare in India and this was the beginning of Loop Health. In this candid conversation with your host Akshay Dutt, Mayank shares the journey of finding product market fit for Loop and making it the most well-funded startup in its space. Loop is on a mission to make healthcare frictionless for its users by selling comprehensive healthcare and health insurance solutions to corporate clients for their employees. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming platform to listen to more such journeys of discovering product market fit to build high-impact startups. There is this narrative of uh, second generation of Indian families <laughs> uh, kind of taking over and just kind of you know sitting on the on the business and, and not building much and so I always had that uh, maybe that chip on my shoulder to say I'm going to go do my own thing uh, that is completely unrelated um, that is going to be higher technology higher impact but also uh, you know I, I'm, I'm grateful to him for providing all the things he has but I, I, I do I did feel from a very early age I wanted to build my own my own identity. So, like those four years in the US uh, must have shaped your thinking on entrepreneurship, on what you want to build, what you want to do. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, from a very early age, right, I've been really fascinated with Silicon Valley. Like, um, I used to write emails to all of these founders in the valley back when I was in the sixth, seventh grade. Uh, some of them ended up becoming now investors and board members. But um, I honestly always wanted to go to Stanford. That was the mecca for kind of, you know, founder types like me. But I didn't get in. I was just like, you know, depressed for months after getting to Stanford. Uh, but my, my second choice was Illinois because the University of Illinois is like a top three CS program in the world. And it has a history of amazing founders like Mark Andreessen, Max Levchin, you know, Jeremy Stopperman, Luke Nozak, all of these folks have come from U of I. So deep roots of Mosaic and PayPal. And uh, so that was my second choice. And so I ended up there and uh, it has dramatically, I think, changed my perception of what startups were. Um, I, I always did feel like I was still away from Silicon Valley. I never felt like I belonged until I ended up at YC uh, in 2020. But um, there was still a lot of CS hacker culture at UIUC combined with um, just the deep roots in the valley. And I think that shaped a lot of ambition, I think, for me. Uh, it's very, it's one of those things, it's very hard to know how to be really ambitious unless you see it. And that was kind of the first realm where I really saw people take on world-changing projects. Um, and so, yeah, I think that was the... that was the. Did you also try world-changing projects while there? Like, like, you know, what led up to Loop? Uh, you must yeah. have tried a bunch of ideas before uh, reaching to Loop. Yeah, so 
you know, I was pretty clear. I always wanted to start a company. I, I, I've never had a job. This is like my first job out of college. Um, but I never thought about healthcare. Um, I was deep into the crypto space in 2014. Um, so that's when Bitcoin was probably at like $50 or $60. And uh, all, we were just, you know, kind of hacking at it in CS lab. Uh, so I think I, I worked a lot on the crypto side of things, on Bluetooth Low Energy. That was an emerging technology at that point. So I was just trying out a bunch of projects. Obviously, I didn't know anything about product development or product management. So as, a, as an engineer, just building random things that actually don't are not that useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, and then in 2015, second year of college, I um, my dad had a heart attack. So... My parents both live in Pune. He's, he's luckily fine now, but he had a heart attack. And uh, that completely changed how I thought about the basic necessities in the Maslow's hierarchy almost. Um, I went through that whole experience with him. You know, he, he got diagnosed over that heart attack. He um, got prescribed a really invasive heart surgery. Um, I was 19, so we just ended up getting the heart surgery. It cost 10 lakh rupees. I had to get that all back from the insurance company, which was the worst experience I've ever had. And uh, later when, when we talked to a few friends and family, we found out that he didn't need the invasive heart surgery and it took him like six months to recover. And so that experience got me really obsessed with trying to figure out, you know, we have all of this, um, all this progress in bits life, right? Your Twitter, your social networks, Google, all of these bits, patients, but the atoms haven't shifted yet, right? The atoms like transportation and traffic and healthcare and power, like some of these core infrastructural things haven't moved. And that got me really obsessed with saying, look, if healthcare sucks for me in India, where I can pay basically as much money as I need to get right the good healthcare, um, I don't even know what's happening to kind of, you know, someone who maybe cannot afford it or is doesn't have a doctor in the family and so on and so forth. So, yeah, that, that started my obsession with healthcare. I spent, I took a semester off and I spent um, those four months just talking to 200 doctors and a bunch of hospital owners. And I just was just uncovering um, horrendous kind of, incentive problems in healthcare, um, you know, learning that, you know, care providers, doctors and hospitals are given targets for how many surgeries they should do, what is the surgery mix, MRI, X-ray targets. Um, hospital owners are thinking about the number of bed occupancy multiplied by revenue per bed. That's the metric they are maximizing. And just thinking about all of that and learning uh, made it so obvious why my dad had the experience he had, right? Uh, even though his primary care doctor knew 12 of his cousins had had heart attacks in the last 20 years, uh, they still couldn't prevent this guy from having a heart attack, right? And so uh, it just became obvious why the experience is so broken, the incentives are broken, no one is using technology and product to help someone live longer, live healthier, and nor are the incentives aligned that way. And so... Um, yeah, that, that's what got me in healthcare. And I did a bunch of things while I was still completing my undergrad. And 
one way to solve this problem could be to build like an asset light hospital model like say what maybe pristine care is doing uh, uh, you know something on those lines uh, what did you want to do so at that point it wasn't clear uh, like you know like the journey to figuring out your core mission and product market fit is kind of a long arduous exploratory one um, at that point it wasn't clear but i was clear in the fact that we needed to solve the core problem which is that of incentives um, if doctors continue to get more money the sicker a patient is um, regardless of what you improve uh, it's never going to work because it fails at the atomic unit at the logical unit and so always i think the core principle of design was can you build a health system where care providers are paid to keep people healthy and to keep people out of hospitals and can you align healthcare with what a patient wants right and so that's why the asset light hospital models where we are maximizing surgeries is wasn't ever that interesting to us because it doesn't take a genius to figure out the profit pools are in tertiary care or injuries right uh-huh. um, but i think we never wanted to go to that i think all the, the persistent attempt was to try to figure out can we rewire the whole stack so that the incentives are aligned and and we solve the core problem of healthcare but tell me that journey like you must have started with a certain thesis that this is the way to do it and that which must have got through multiple iterations yeah yeah i mean uh hindsight is always 2020 i feel it's so easy to piece it together looking back but honestly it was a pretty uh uncertain process so after my dad's uh, uh heart attack um i basically said you know what a what a software engineer would say is software solves this right that was the first hypothesis i'm going to write code to solve healthcare and so i i spent about a year while i was still studying not going to class basically but writing code for a emr for electronic medical record that was built for rural india so there are thousands of villages in india where there are no doctors um that void is filled by health workers who are trained and today these health workers asha workers are using paper notebook forms to diagnose uh, diseases right uh, disease diagnosis is nothing but a flow chart right yes or no question values and the diagnosis so they have been using these thick books and so i ended up uh, me and my dad ended up getting involved in a non-profit in rural maharashtra and in, in tribal villages in maharashtra which uh, is run by two ex johns hopkins doctors for the last 30 years and uh, they have trained up couple of hundred village health workers to do deliveries to take care of pregnancy complications and to treat 15 diseases in those villages and they were using these horrible pen and paper notebooks to 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 run this um i said okay look if i can write code to fully fix this problem you know while i'm still in college let me do that and then we'll go take it to the real world we'll help doctors make better decisions and and all of those things and and all will be well and so that's what i ended up spending two years of my college doing uh, while i was finishing up the degree um uh, wrote a couple of lakh lines of code for the 
electronic medical record in Meraki. Uh, so these health workers produced that um, and ended up deploying it to about 500,000 patients. So about half, a, half of their lives uh, ended up being touched with this EMR that health workers used. And uh, that was the first project. And that was, as a 20-year-old, that project was to say that I can build something and I can push it in the real world and it can have real impact, right? So that was when the whole uh, idea became clear that you can build technology, you can write code to save lives, which is a really powerful thing to realize, I think, as a 20-year-old software engineer. And so uh, that was the first thing I built. And then um, in 2018, I moved back to India with my friend and co-founder, Ryan who uh, I met in college, and we said, look, we've built this piece of technology. Um, it works in public so, health. Ryan is like an American citizen. Yeah, so I have three co-founders, uh, Ryan, Amrit, and Shami. Ryan and Amrit are my friends from UIUC. They are both uh, natives. They were born uh, in the U.S., uh, American, but um, are Indian uh, origin. And... Uh, Ended up doing the reverse brain drain thing. Convinced yeah, to amazing. To move. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we moved in 2018 and uh, we were like, okay, let's you, I mean, this is great technology. Let's deploy it in clinics and uh, all will be well. And so we tried to go and sell it to doctors. And pretty soon we realized that doctors, GPs, hospitals are not really interested in improving quality of care. Obviously, they want to do it broadly, but in the moment, they don't want to pay for things that improve quality of care. They are trying to get as many patients through the door as possible, and they are trying to give them a service that they can build insurance companies for, right? Which is the right thing to do. I don't, I don't want to categorize uh, the service in that way, but uh, we realize that no one is interested in paying for a tool that helps you make better decisions as a doctor because no one is incentivized to do that. Uh, and so, you know, we, we miserably failed. Basically so, at first. This tool was like a clinic management software where you could manage your patients and uh, keep documenting every visit in it so that next time a patient visits, you can see all past visits and what was prescribed to him and maybe send reminders for next visit, etc. Like, something like that, like a clinic management app. It, it that was half of it. Um, so the half of it was clinic management, and the other half was co what's called a CDS or a clinical decision support. Um, and so that was uh, basically using the information inputted by the doctor to help them make a better decision, right? So pulling up algorithms, pulling up best practices, you know, potentially flagging up what the symptoms could mean, and so on and so forth. Yeah, give me an example so, of how it would work. Like for example. Um, like, let's say you're uh, treating a patient with hypertension, right? And uh, some of the, you, you end up prescribing statins to, to this patient. You see some statin, you've been prescribing a statin for, let's say, the last six months, but the blood pressure is not going down. Or the blood pressure is going down, but the patient has high uh, uh, kind of pilorubin or some other liver uh, enzymes. So secretion is suddenly increased, right? So there's side effects. And so um, it's not, I mean, you could take pharmacological studies 
and show the physician that, hey, this kind of statin produces this effect in X percentage of patients. Try these six other statins. And if your patient fits this bill, then these two might be the best for them, right? That's the kind of intelligence you can provide. And we had built some of these algorithms across maternity, across some primary care conditions hmm. Hmm. as well. And, okay. uh, so, and that is... Uh, this sounds like a fairly... Multiple things to solve to make this successful. First is how do you uh, get clean data in? Like, I, I mean, if, for example, you're saying that there are some liver markers, uh, how do you get that clean data in? Like, typically those test results will be like a printout from a lab uh, and doctors may not have the time and patience to do manual data entry or so on. Like, what was your approach to get the data in? Yeah, I mean... We didn't understand that, <laughs> you know, we were just experiment. We had deployed it in public health where you are mandated to do certain things because you're a public health worker. By a random doctor or a GP in a clinic, you're right. That was why I feel it's because they had no incentive to use a digital system. It was too painful. That was kind of the first lesson in product management, which is <laughs> for you. Uh, okay, okay. That extra uh, hassle of data entry was kind of a barrier to adoption. And uh, how did you uh, code the intelligence in it? Like that—that that must have been a manual process. Like you would have had to like collate studies, and then like was that how you did it? Like with the help of like a doctor or a subject matter expert? Yeah. So um, in college, I'd interned at a health analytics company in Chicago. Uh, that was the fastest growing health analytics company in the U.S. And they, what they had done in the U.S., because the U.S. is already on medical records, electronic medical records for 25 years, they had built a marketplace of algorithms on top of it. So you could take an algorithm from a science research paper and you could deploy it in a hospital. And I was like engineer number six on it. And I worked there for about 12 months while I was still studying and doing this startup, so so to speak. And so I had learned a lot about how to do those things in that from that experience, which translated really well to this. So um, yeah, I had some background on how to build it. And then we used uh, some of my connections that built up during that internship to, to help us launch at least the top 25 kind of most primary care cases. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, so then what? Like you went to market and you saw that it is not getting adoption. Uh, so, yeah, we went to market. We saw it's not getting adoption, um, and then we we're like, okay, um, like any kind of uh, founder would do, ask the doctors, what do you want? Right, and the doctor. I think a lot of what came from the doctors was. Um, this, I, this problem of, oh, we don't get specialist advice or as GPs, we don't have access to specialist advice, right? And so um, we said, okay, cool. Let, let us fix that problem for you. Will you pay for it? Yes, we'll pay for it. All right, you've said it, we'll build it, right? So we ended up building a two-sided marketplace of specialist doctors from major hospitals in Pune and connecting them with with the GPs. So if they had a case that they wanted advice on, they could ping this doctor or their assistant or their team and they would solve it for them and then they would pay them, right? So they would take additional money from the patient and then they would pay the specialist, right? And uh, 
that was a really attractive service for doctors. And so we grew very quickly. So in a span of six months, we had 350 doctors, GPs in Pune using this service. And we had, we were doing probably close to 600 concerts a day uh, with with these specialist doctors. Hmm. And and the uh, onboarding would have been manual, right? Like you would have had to call up these people, tell them, hey, another source of earning for you and uh, just sit at your home and earn and like something like that. Uh, on the specialist side, yes. On the supply side, the onboarding was manual. On the demand GP side, uh, they told their friends. So they were like, hey, check this out. Should you this stuff? Uh, word of mouth. And so th- we ran that for a couple of months um, in 2019, early 2019. But what that ended up devolving into is something funny. Um, that ended up devolving into a surgery funnel for specialists. So we 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 get we started getting calls from GPs saying that hey this specialist did not prescribe surgery to this patient but they have insurance so why didn't they do a, why didn't they prescribe a surgery and we started learning about this idea of kickbacks um, that if you send a patient for surgery you can get 5, 10, 20% of the surgery back uh, from the hospital or the specialist. And so we, we kept getting like a call a day from, from some of these GPs saying, hey, why didn't this person operate? Hey, where's my money? And we were really confused. We're like, aren't, you, aren't we helping you make better decisions? Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and then we're like, oh, wait, that's not what's happening. <laughs> into a surgery funnel. But, yeah. <laughs> and then, and they were transacting um, on top of that, and then we read through some of these chats because they could use that app to chat with these specialists, and it was about how much money and <laughs> so we were like, holy fuck! Like this is not the of the good thing, right? I I don't want to be the business of maximizing surgeries. That doesn't feel like the right thing to do for our users, and so we decided to shut it down. Um, we said, look, this is not the right uh, thing we want to build. We're going to shut it down. But we learned so much about patients, about their experience at hospitals, about insurance, and about incentives that we said, look, if we really want to solve this problem, we are going to have to be really ambitious. We are going to have to commit to this problem of building a new kind of healthcare system. And that's where this idea emerged that, look, um, no one except the insurance company is incentivized to keep you out of hospitals, right? The insurance company doesn't want you to claim. Now, there are two ways to do it. One way is just to deny claims, in which case no insurance company will succeed because they just will have a reputation of not paying back their consumers. The other way is to keep your patients healthy, navigate them to the right doctors, navigate them to a trusted circle of specialists and broadly help them manage their conditions so that they don't end up as hospitals, right? And so we ended up, and again, the team was like three people, right? At that point in 2019, uh, we ended up uh, talking to a lot of folks in the US, in the UK, in Singapore, learning about health systems around the world and understanding what worked for them. 
And uh, we ended up discovering what is used to be called an integrated care provider that is now called a payvider uh, in the VC language. And a payvider, basically a payer and a healthcare provider combined, right? And yeah. someone like a Kaiser Permanente in the US is a great example of a payvider, of an old payvider. And someone like a Oscar Health or a Clover Health is an example of a, of a new kind of payvider where you are the insurance company, you take risk on a patient population, but you are also the healthcare provider. So it allows you to keep them healthy, it allows you to influence them, and it allows you to uh, be on the right side of the patient, right? And uh, I think we got really excited with this model, um, and obviously it does, doesn't age. But uh, yeah, I, I have a question first. Um, how is this any different from any health insurance company? It sounds like exactly the same thing. Uh, and a health insurance company is doing that, like they're taking a risk on a cohort and they pay, uh, and especially like today, everything is cashless. So so they would directly pay the hospital for the procedure, etc. So insurance companies today are like banks, right? You never think about ICICI being your healthcare provider. You know, you think about a doctor, you want a healthcare brand, ICICI is the bank that allows you to pay for hospitalization, right? So, so they are just purely payers today in India. Um, what a payvider is, is they are not only your payer, but you also hmm. go to them to seek healthcare. Uh, they would set up your appointment. Okay. Yeah, they, they might be your family doctor. They might be the specialist. You fully trust them to deliver healthcare for you. And... And that's the that's the difference. I would think. Mm. got it. Okay, okay. So so you learned about this model, which excited you quite a bit in 2019. Uh, so then what? Then uh, then yeah. Then we said, look, uh, we are like 23, 24 year old founders. Uh, we have no business in healthcare or insurance. Uh, this is like an old person's game. But uh, but fuck it. Like we we we're really passionate about this. Let's. Uh, Let's go build a new kind of health system in India and uh, let's do it right and let's commit a couple of decades of our lives to doing that. And so, uh, yeah, that's when we said, look, we want to be eventually a payvider in India. Um, how do we do that? Um, we do that by getting a bunch of families covered under our health plans and we become their healthcare provider of choice. And uh, that's when we started building our health insurance product with our primary care product. And um, we were basically the first ones in 2020 to um, offer that combined to companies because uh, we know that most people get their insurance from their company, right? And so uh, we were the first ones to be uh, essentially a healthcare broker to go in and say, take your insurance and here's some primary care with it. And uh, we're gonna help your employees and their family members stay healthy, engage with benefits more. And if they need to go to the hospital, we'll be there of the whole care journey for them. So, uh, yeah, that was the... Company was a decision you took after uh, like trying B2C, B2B both or you straight away wanted to do B2B? Yeah, we didn't do B2C because it just seemed like not the right strategy for a company that had no money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, right. So, yeah. B2B like, okay, we, I can sell, my co-founder mm. can sell. Let's uh -huh. just uh, just go and, and 
build a base of uh, consumers. And uh, uh, so uh, you were taking the risk on your books or you had collaborations with insurance companies and like you were creating a bundle? Yeah, we we uh, we were a broker, right? So brokers in India can't take risk today. So we had a few insurance partners that we worked with and uh, still work with. And uh, they were the ones backing this group health plan. But we were delivering healthcare ourselves in-house. Um, so we did have our own doctors and so on and so forth that um, was part of the healthcare plan. Okay. So... One part of it is uh, uh, an insurance policy from one of the traditional uh, health insurance companies. And the other part is like first level consult can be done through your app uh, because you have doctors uh, on on panel available on call. And uh, uh, subsequently, if uh, somebody needs to get admitted or needs to get a test, then that could be set up through the app, like a, a, an exactly. appointment with a specialist or a, a test pickup uh, and stuff like that. That's exactly right. Okay. Uh, did your plan cover? Uh, there must be like say X consults a year per employee and stuff like that. Like, like tell me what exactly were you selling? What was the product to a to an HR head of a company? Yeah, the product was simple. It was unlimited primary care. So you could actually consult and text us twenty four seven as many times as you want. Uh, that was that risk we underwrote on the primary care side because no one wants to just chat with a doctor for fun, right? So you don't have that problem of like induced utilization. That's what they call it in insurance. You're not just going to you know, use it to use it, right? So um, we said unlimited primary care for your employees along with a fully digital uh, modern insurance journey that includes your insurance cards in the app, digital claims, um, an HR dashboard for you, and so on and so forth. Um, so both these pieces were fairly revolutionary when we introduced them in 2020, um, where we were then displacing their existing providers at a pretty rapid rate. Um, so the first company we sold to was two years ago. Um, hmm. and in the Which company was that? It was actually a small subsidiary of General Electric, GE. Wow. Okay, amazing. And uh, we sold to them. And since in the last two years, um, you know, we've grown to about 550 companies. We cover more than 300,000 lives. Um, And so I think uh, uh, it's been, I think, phenomenal to see consumers like HRs and and employees really adopt it very quickly. So uh, are you also uh, providing patient health record on the app? Like, Say someone uh, goes for a, a test, uh, like diagnostics, and they can just click a pick and it gets read by, like, you know, machine vision reads it and puts those records and stuff like that. Like, Not yet. Uh, that is in our long-term roadmap. I think as we stack rank our priorities, there are so many other things to build before that. But if you do do a test through us, it shows up as a PDF in your app. And so we have people that have consulted with us, like, 10 times a year and all of their consults, their prescriptions and their lab tests show up in the app, which is already better than what people have today. Right. And so uh, that's kind of where the experience is today. I think in the future, I'm sure we'll, we'll go and build more. 
So, what is the uh, list? So, like you stack rank the features, and these are features you want to build first, and these are down the line. Uh, just talk to me through that. Like, what what were the top features you wanted to get out first? And yeah, um, so I can I can just talk about the bust more freely than than the yeah. But um, you know, we we wanted to launch a few things quickly. Uh, the first was. HR as a customer, how do we make your life easy? We make your life easy by completely extracting you out of the insurance administration uh, part of your job. So we replace that with technology. And so you as an HR don't need to email us the list of your new employees or email us the employees you want to remove from your insurance plan. Uh, we just plug into your HR software and uh, we are just able to essentially pick up from that, right? Hey, can you, hey, uh, you blacked out. Um, so that was the first thing we shipped. We're like, don't be involved in insurance administration. Here is technology to do it. Don't be involved in claims. Let our kind of people-centric customer support desk and our digital claims journey help you and your employees. Uh, solve that problem. So you as an HR are not going to get calls at 3 a.m. asking for uh, claims claim support, right? So uh, that was the first set of features we shipped for the HR. And for the employee, uh, there's only two sets of features that were important. A, access unlimited primary care. So consult doctors through the app, text them. And B, uh, see your insurance info, see what's covered, see what's not covered, file a claim. So that sounds easy. There's a lot of magic that happens underneath it because the insurance partners we work with are not digital, right? And so there's a lot of duct taping and a lot of internal people plus tech happens to to make an experience that feels fully tech-based and integrated. So it took us a while, a few quarters to build that, but... Yeah. Uh, like each insurance was, company would have their own formats and templates for claims. So you would need to give the customer one unified format, but then convert it to match the insurance company's format and have some automated following up and stuff like that. That's exactly right. Uh, so that we had to do all that on claims. But I think just being scrappy, like one of the big, one of the core values at Loop is obviously the first one is to be customer obsessed, but Velocity is also a really important value that we have. And so we were being scrappy. We sold, we built, we sold, we built um, in, in lockstep. And so it wasn't like there was an eight-month development process and then we launched. We just launched and we kept building. And we still do that. Um, we will launch things and we'll build simultaneously. Hmm. Uh, this launch happened after YC? You, you got into YC, right, in 2020? Yeah, so 2020, we got into YC, um, mm. and uh, we spent three months there. I think that was some of the most uh, fun three months I've had in the last This was pre-pandemic? like. So, interestingly enough, ours was the first kind of virtual demo day. So, ours was the first batch that the pandemic hit. And so, uh, our group, group partner was Michael Seibert, who is the CEO of YC. And uh, basically, when dem when COVID happened in 2020 in March. Uh, Demo Day got shifted from in-person to virtual. And now it seems so obvious, but back then it was, it just created havoc in the whole founder 
community and YC because everyone was really freaked out. Like, how do you raise money on Zoom? Like that sounds yeah. crazy. Like why, like why would anyone give you money over a video call, right? And so, uh, and so, yeah. And so Michael Seibel basically told us, look, guys, uh, we don't know how things are going to be. Take the first term sheet and run. I recommend you raise quickly. So we actually ended up raising a seat round in two days. Uh, so before demo day happened. And, and this was pre-revenue. You had not made your first deal yet. Uh, this was pre-revenue. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As founders, okay. we so we had done, we had grown a bit during YC uh, from a slightly different subset of this business. Um, <laughs> because we took time to get the insurance license, we just <laughs> sold healthcare to companies. Um, so we we did make some revenue dollars uh, there. Okay. Like just the primary care piece, like unlimited consults. Okay. Exactly. Uh, a bunch of companies wanted it, especially with COVID around. Um, and so some forward-thinking HRs bought this from us. So, uh, so YC, we did YC. We were a team of, I think, six or seven at that point. Uh, raised our seed and then and then was stuck in the U.S. for six months. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And then got back and then launched in September of 2020. Okay. So uh, you need a license for being an insurance broker also. like, And that takes time, is it? Yeah, it takes some time. Okay. And once you get that license, then what? Then every insurance company must work with you or you still need to go and build relationships with each company? Every insurance company can work with you. Uh, the must is <laughs> the must based on uh, your relationship and building supply, right? So it's essentially a marketplace. You are matching HR and company risk to risk capacity of insurance companies. And so... Um, yeah, you go and build relationships with, with insurers. So uh, would they uh, do customized policies for you or is there like a standard policy which, uh, uh, like how does it happen? What is your relationship with insurance companies? Uh, it's a bit of both. Uh, we do um, the standard policy that customers ask us uh, for and we do your uh, customized ones where we think there is scope of innovation. We will go work with one or two partners, get those things in, and then and then expand value there. Okay. Uh, what is the uh, onboarding journey for an employer? Like, do they, is it like a, uh, like they can see policies and then they can add to cart what kind of policy they want? Or is it like a consultative selling where somebody is talking to them, understanding, and then sending a proposal? Yeah, it's all consultative. Um, insurance is fairly complex. HRs don't want to mess it up. And so it's a, it's a consultative sale. It'd be, it's like B2B SaaS in some ways. Um, and uh, yeah, sales team is involved in selling to the HR. But once they sign up, then the onboarding team ensures that every employee gets their benefits, hears from us, uh, we integrate into the company's HR system, all of that data gets pulled and uh, we, we do a bunch of uh, activities around healthcare to get people uh, to the primary care aspect of, of mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Got it, okay. So uh, why is there uh, so much uh, VC interest in this space? Uh, you know, uh, you would be aware that there are a lot of companies which have raised a fair amount of funding. Although I think you've raised uh, the maximum amount of everyone else in the field. So, yep. uh, but 
what what are the features of this business which excite uh, vcs yeah that's a that's a great question uh, so i think the number one thing is mm-hmm. that um, so i think there's two things right i think what do do vcs want the first one is they want uh they want a massive market like they want to have a big opportunity to go after because only large bet can return that fund right and so uh that's the first thing right and insurance and healthcare fit that bucket so uh, one of the biggest reasons why vcs are invested in the space is it's cuz both of these markets combined are massive uh the second thing that is very interesting about this space is that it's largely dominated by incumbents right so you have these old 20 year old brokers 20 year old insurers low moving customer dissatisfaction is high no use of technology that's so on and so forth, right so it just feels like okay this is prime for disruption and any good business uh has moats and this is a business that has moats because you don't move your insurer often you don't move your primary care or your healthcare a provider often and so uh yeah some of these some of these reasons make made it make it very exciting for uh venture capitalists to look at this okay so customers tend to be very sticky uh, unless yeah. like somebody is majorly screwing up uh, they, they will there's a lot of inertia to change the provider that you have to get a lot of approvals and explain why you want to change and so on and so forth exactly uh-huh. got it okay interesting so uh, yeah yeah uh, tell me that journey so you told me you built up these two features as primary like for the uh, hr uh, to get onboarded and for uh, employees uh, what else uh, on the features did you build next and what's on the roadmap yeah so um so we ended up building that and uh, when we we are a very design first company uh, one of our co-founders is a designer so we are one of those red companies in india where we have a design co-founder and so uh, a core ethos is just to talk to talk to our users and so um i think we kept doing that and kept building more features in these segments and then i think very quickly we reached the point where we were 10x better than uh what was out there and so that that helped us just kind of rapidly scale um as as we were, as we were doing that and uh um and we have been basically listening to our customers and and building what they want if you think about what we're building today we're making progress on two vectors right the first one is we are going deeper in the healthcare stack so we're going deeper in terms of helping our employee base or our member base deal with chronic diseases deal with uh some acute primary care problems so building diabetes hypertension and some of these core diseases that you know people go through uh, we're building kind of treatment plans for that and helping them take care of themselves in the in the journey and the other vector we're building rapidly towards is is more coverage or more benefits right so insurance is about covering your risk um there are a lot of problems and nitigrities in terms of what's covered what's not um how is it covered uh, what is the mechanism for paying back and so there's all of the nitigrities in terms of how much insurance covers and our attempt is every customer we sell to 
for the same price, we should show up with more coverage. And the way to do that is technology, partnerships, um, and, and, and a more digital journey. So kind of mm-hmm. do two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, this stuff on uh, diagnostics, uh, on uh, o- OPD visits and uh, procedures and all, um, is that stuff that you monetize? Like, like what are those uh, integrations like? You must have got partnerships with various diagnostics companies and all. Uh, how, do, how does that work? Yeah. So, um, today we don't monetize them. Uh, today, the goal is to provide a complete experience. So, you can book lab tests through our app. Um, you pay through us, but we pay the provider ultimately. And uh, it's basically to complete your care journey because uh, most people have become, you know, so used to using our app. We have, you know, we do tens of thousands of these interactions every month. Um, invariably, 20, 30% of them require diagnostics and yeah. people want to be in the same app and complete the same journey. So, uh, and this would be through like uh, digital first uh, diagnostics scenes, like say a, a, like a one MG or uh, like those kind of chains that you would be working with. It's a bit of both. Um, it, the, the, uh, coverage is important, so we work with traditional players. We work with the new guys. Um, yeah, pretty pretty uh, open about that bit. Um, and so yeah, so so not really monetizing those aspects today. I think. It's easier to scale a business, the simpler it is. And so uh, today we are in the phase where we have kept the business simple. We know where we make money. We know how we spend it. Um, the goal is to scale and and go quickly. Um, and then I think once we're comfortable that an engine is running, I think we would, we would want to go and um, dig a little deeper in some of these, mm-hmm. let's say, ancillary revenue streams. Okay. okay. So how do you currently monetize? So what is the model? Well, we make a percentage of the premium that we sell, right? So you sell to an employer, um, they they pay you, they pay the insurance company a premium amount for coverage. And we get a certain percentage of that um, from the insurance company. And that's the pretty simple monetization model today. Hmm. Uh, what 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 percentage do you earn or what do you earn per employee covered or like so you can earn anywhere depending on the kind of cover you sell you can earn anywhere between five percent to fifteen percent of um, the premiums that a company pays so it depends on a lot of factors risk mm-hmm. losses relationship size uh, you know Okay. Uh, tell me about the fundraise journey and, uh, you know, like we spoke that you have raised more money than anyone else in this field. Uh, how did you do that? Yeah. So, so when we started raising, right, so we started raising in, uh, we raised, we started raising in May of last year. That was our first institutional round. Uh, that was the series A. And we were super cool. 12 million round led by General Catalyst, Elevation and Coastal Ventures. Um, I think when we started raising, we were really clear on what um, we wanted in a partner. And what we wanted in a partner was someone who understood that we are on a long journey to build a new kind of healthcare system in India. We are not on a two-year journey or a three-year journey to go and scale something quickly. We are not on a five-year journey to maximize top line. But we want to change the fundamental nature of healthcare delivery 
in India. And um, there were a few people that understood that. So Himant Taneja, who runs General Catalyst, he has written a book called Unhealthcare. And we came across that book and we read it. We said, we looked at our internal memo of the company and this book and we're like, this is the same thing. And so we're like, uh, and, and this is, I mean, Hemant is a prolific investor, right? He is, he like the seed at Stripe, at Snapchat, at a couple of these massive uh, successes. And so we were like, you know, this is the guy for us um, because he really understands what it means to build in, build in healthcare. And so, uh, you know, that was the big, that was the big thesis. That was like, okay, the uh, spiritual alignment almost with this investor. So we found a way to get connected to him and uh, we, we raised from him. Uh, with Vinod, there was a similar story. Vinod's been a personal hero of mine since I was a kid. Uh, I think, you know, building Sun Microsystems and, and just was such a uh, amazing story uh, for for me as, a, as him as an engineer building these massive companies and uh, incidentally he had also written like a 50 page memo on the future of healthcare called 20 Sam doctor and i had read that a couple of years ago and i'm like this guy gets it we want to raise from from him as well um and so we we found a way to get connected over north as well and uh, like, um, in india you know we we ended up chatting with obviously uh, most of the large venture funds um I think Mayank Kanduja, who's our partner at Elevation, uh, same name, Mayank, uh, same initials, MK. But uh, we we just we just felt like you know they understood what we were building. Uh, they were going to be partners with us for the for the long run. And um, I thought you know that this was the fund we'd want to partner with because they deeply understand India and they understand the founder journey really well. And so. Uh, you know, we, we out of multiple term sheets that we had at that point, we ended up mm. we ended up working with these folks, and then um, and, and by then, that stage, you already had enough uh, traction to demonstrate uh, that uh, I mean to demonstrate that this business has legs and the team has executed well. Uh, what what kind of numbers were you at at that time? Um, from a from a company perspective, I think we had just sold to about forty companies, thirty or forty companies. We were covering some twenty five thousand employees, give or take. I think twenty thousand employees or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's how that's how we that's how we raised the A. It was all remote. Uh, it was during the pandemic. Uh, we were the only ones in the office every day, and we were trying to raise through Zoom. Um, obviously, as as first time founders, it's it's a nerve wracking experience, but uh, we we ended up pulling through and, and raised the A and then the B we raised earlier this year, hmm. which was the uh, same set of investors, twenty five million dollars. It was the same set of investors, uh, but we also added Optum Ventures as part of the round. Um, Optum was another company we've we've admired in the U.S. Optum is a subsidiary of United Health. Uh, United Health is the largest health system in the U.S. They are two percent of the U.S. GDP. <laughs> they are massive, um, and uh, yeah, just felt like you know they would be the right partners as we go and build a new health system in India. And so we we connected to them, spoke to the ex CEO of Optum, who had grown the business uh, to about a hundred billion dollars, 
and um, I think yeah, we wanted to pull them in as partners in this round as well. And uh, yeah. so yeah, and so we ra- we raised early. Uh, I think we all knew that kind of the macro world is going to go to shit at some point. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's mm. it's better to raise early and and get the money in. And so. Uh, mm. So this was essentially like uh, just to have a watch chest because you're in a business where the money comes in right at the beginning, right? The, the moment you sell, you get the cash. So it's like a very healthy cash flow kind of a business, right? Like, I mean, you don't necessarily need money for working capital and so on. Exactly. It's a it's a negative cash conversion cycle, which is helpful. Uh, so we're able to get the money up front. Uh, but mostly, you know, for us, it's it's like day 0.1. It's not even day one. There is so much to build. There is so much innovation we want to do in insurance uh, and healthcare mostly that uh, we just have this massive, you know, roadmap to build. And uh, we said, you know, let's raise the capital. Let's invest up front. Um, and uh, and so we ended up we ended up closing that round. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then a month later, the the world went to shit. Yeah, um, right. So we we felt pretty pretty good about that um, mm, for our own mm, business. Mm, mm. Okay. Uh, do you think uh, that you know there's going to be consolidation in this space and like one way to grow could be through acquisitions? Um, there could be, I think, consolidation. Um, I think one would have to think about why you are acquiring a certain company and. Uh, is the capital more efficient in deploying it in your own sales team to displace these companies or to acquire one? And so I think we are. I think the jury is still out. We're still mm-hmm. we're still doing the math. No, I mean, say patient health record as a feature could be solved through an acquisition. Correct. Yeah, I think product acquisitions make a lot of sense. That's right. I mean, we have been we have been looking. So if, if someone is hearing this, there's a small team uh, part of something larger, uh, just a call out here. So uh, can you share uh, some revenue metrics and, you know, what you estimate them to be like, uh, like say, you know, do you have like a revenue target for 2025? What What is your current ARR and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, so I think revenue and premium wise, we 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 tend not to share these out. But uh, mm-hmm. I think what we do end up sharing out is just how large of a patient base we have. I think it's fairly easy to estimate for the, okay. the uh, you know, the exercises left for the readers type of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. But uh, I would say that you know today we cover more than three lakh lives. Um, I think. For us, in the, by 2025, we want to get to two to three million lives covered in India. And so the goal is to basically uh, 10x in the next two years um, for us. And what would be your ARR at that stage when you are at two million lives? So um, we hope to, I think I think the way to think about it is, is premiums. Um, and so, uh, you know, the average person pays, you know, probably $100. Um, for for insurance and so at two million that's two hundred two fifty million dollars of of a book that we have. Okay, okay, and five to fifteen percent somewhere in that range is your uh, take rate in that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Amazing. So uh, 
do you want to eventually uh, go deeper in terms of getting into the insurance business itself or do you want to continue to be a broker i think it remains to be seen uh, to be honest uh, the insurance space is also evolving very quickly the regulator is more liberal now than they have been before um i think today in the group health space um we have not seen prices normalized yet um because there's a presence of some large public sector insurers and so on and so forth uh, what does that mean uh, prices are not yeah. normalized are you saying it is what like I mean? subsidized yeah i think not subsidized but i think the market is definitely a little skewed towards uh, lower prices because of the presence of these uh, massive government insurers okay and uh, we are just uh, we are seeing every year prices normalize more and more to a more sustainable market clearing price hmm. but i think it remains to be seen uh, the attractiveness of the segment and hmm. so on and so forth uh, hmm. but what i will say is the the goal is to align incentives and so hmm. eventually we want to be able to um take risk uh, hmm. on on the population now whether it's by becoming an insurance company or by any other means as hmm. a partnership i think that remains to be seen hmm. but uh, eventually we want to be punished if our employees or if our members go to the hospitals more and hmm. we want to be rewarded if our members go to the hospitals less and uh, yeah. that's that's what we want to get to all right amazing uh, you you work with the government uh, insurance companies also like uh, or you work mostly with private companies no we work with we work with both the government and the and the private folks but uh, i'm guessing with the government folks it might be more painful for like claim settlement and stuff like that the integrations What? and all of that the 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 te- the technology integrations are definitely much harder with the government folks but uh surprisingly it's a fairly well oiled machine i think uh it's 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 crazy to say that out loud but uh sometimes they've been better honestly than the private private ones so uh that's that's come as a nice surprise to us mm-hmm. amazing no yeah, cool yeah. okay uh, what's your headcount like currently we're almost 340 uh, folks at yeah. and mm-hmm. and this would largely be sales and product like these would be the two major that's right sales product some in operations but mostly mm. sales and product mm. and that brings us to the end of this conversation i want to ask you for a favor now did you like listening to the show i'd love to hear your feedback about it do you have your own startup ideas i'd love to hear them do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show i'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests write to me at ad@thepodium.in at that's ad@thepodium.in at 